My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Jennifer Heffler-Elson. Muskrat Falls is a waterfall on the Churchill River in Labrador, not too far from the indigenous-majority town of Happy Valley Goose Bay. Muskrat Falls is also the site of a hydroelectric dam megaproject being built by Nalcor Energy, a provincial crown corporation. The dam has been in the works for many years. It has, as these kinds of projects must to get this far, crossed many T's and dotted many I's in terms of consultations and environmental assessments and approvals. Yet, as is also often true of these kinds of megaprojects, the fact that it has met various bureaucratic requirements has not kept many of those people who will be most directly impacted from recognizing that for them, the project means harm and risk and disrespect. The most recent wave of opposition began back in 2016 with a campaign organized by the Nunatsiavut government, which represents Inuit people in Labrador, to make muskrat right. This campaign, at least at the level of its leadership, did not oppose the project in its entirety. Flooding from the project was due to begin that fall, and there was new evidence that the amount of flooding and the approach the company had proposed for preparing the territory would lead to significant accumulations of the toxin methylmercury that could contaminate downstream food supplies that many Inuit depend on. There was a major rally and then a series of other actions, including regular protests at the gate on the road leading to the construction site and a hunger strike, and also many arrests. At the end of October, negotiation between the province, the Nunatsiavut government, the Innu nation, and the southern Inuit of Nunatukavut led to a protocol that would allow Nalcor to proceed with the flooding in a way that would hopefully mitigate the risk from methylmercury. Many of the grassroots people who were involved, however, were of the view that nothing could make the project safe and it must be stopped in its entirety. They've continued to be active under the name Labrador Land Protectors. Though Nalcor had obtained an injunction constraining where and how protests could occur, demonstrations continued on a regular basis at the gates on the road to the construction site. More people were arrested in November. Many arrestees were prohibited from participating by release conditions, and many other people became wary of the risk of being arrested for participating even in very innocuous activities, so numbers have dwindled somewhat since then, yet protests have continued. The Labrador land protectors have many concerns with the Muskrat Falls project. For one thing, not all indigenous peoples who are being impacted by the project have been given the opportunity to offer or not free prior and informed consent. The group has grave misgivings about the megaproject's environmental impacts, about the risk to human health from toxins and from flooding, about the serious negative impacts seen already on human rights, and also about the longer-term public consequences of the project's massive cost overruns. Even the conditions of the protocol for reducing methylmercury agreed back in October are not being met. 
they're also becoming increasingly concerned about the safety of what's called the North Spur, a formation of dirt and rock that spans partway across the river and that is being incorporated and reinforced as part of the dam construction process. Today's guest also talks about signs of unauthorized burning by the company and about a recent major flood of a nearby town that land protectors suspect is related to the dam. And in addition to the many land protectors still facing criminal charges, many listeners will have heard of the case of Beatrice Hunter, an Inuk grandmother arrested, taken 1,600 kilometers from her home community, and jailed in a men's prison for refusing to commit to staying away from the gate to the construction site. She was still detained as of the time we recorded this interview, though she has subsequently been released. Given all of these concerns, the land protectors are steadfast in their commitment to stopping the project. Their immediate demands include a forensic audit of Nalcor Energy and an independent study of the stability of the North Spur. Jennifer Heffler Elson is a resident of Happy Valley Goose Bay, an indigenous woman, and a member of the Labrador Land Protectors. She speaks with me about the struggle against the Muskrat Falls Dam. We spoke by Skype to phone from Happy Valley, Goose Bay. I'm Jennifer Heffler-Elson. I'm a member of the Labrador Land Protectors. I'm from Happy Valley, Goose Bay. I was born here and I was raised here. I am a mother and a grandmother, and I treasure this place to my heart. I'm a member of the Labrador Land Protectors who are striving to ensure that the Muskrat Falls project is shut down because of three main reasons, the humanitarian aspect, the environmental aspect, and the cost. We would like to see an audit, a forensic audit, and we'd like to have an independent study done separate from NELCOR and the provincial government on the North Spur and the stability of that spur. How I got involved was in 2011, there was a joint environmental assessment review panel that was established to review the environmental impacts and other impacts on the possible Muskrat Falls project. So after uh, reviewing what they planned on doing and knowing some aspects of what could happen, and my main concern was the flooding of our land if the dam should break. I made several presentations to the environmental assessment panel. They went to different communities, and a lot of other people made presentations for and against the project. I was against the project at that time, and mainly because I was concerned about, I didn't understand about methylmercury at that time, but I was concerned about the changing of our land and our falls, our Muscat Falls, and also the changing of our Grand River, where if the water is controlled, it's absolutely going to change the flow of the river, how much water is in the river, and it affects our lives. So that's why I got involved, and it was in 2011. And then I took a step back for work purposes for a little while, and then I decided that I really need to start speaking out again when the methylmercury issue came more to light and fully understanding what was happening and things like that and realizing that we aren't able to fish even in some lakes up towards Churchill Falls now because of the Upper Churchill Project. There's still too much mercury in the water. So I was concerned about that and fully starting to understand about how it's going to change our lifestyle and what it's going to do to our food chain. So I said it's time for me to become involved again and make sure that people are fully aware of what's happening and make sure that the company and the government knows not everybody is happy with this project and you got a right to stand up and say, you know, we don't like this, we don't want this, we're afraid there could be flooding, there could be deaths, there definitely could be harmed onto children through breast milk and everything like that. 
in Happy Valley Goose Bay, we have approximately 7,500 people living here. And the demographics are made up of people from away or settlers and also Inuit people, Innu people, and Southern Inuit peoples that used to be also known as the Métis of Labrador. The majority of people, we are Aboriginal people. And further down the river are the community of Rigolet, which is included in the land claims agreement of Nunatsiavut. So Rigolet is located within the Nunatsiavut land claims agreement, and their food chain would be affected severely with the increase in the level of methamercury. It's being disputed, of course, by NELCOR, but there was a study done by the Harvard University, and they shown how much that it could change. So that is the community there, and there are other communities such as Northwest River and Sheshishi, if there is a flood, that there would be some water raised in their communities as well. The dam that they're building, there is a area that's identified as the North Spur. It used to be called Spirit Mountain in English, and that North Spur is made of marine clay, which when it moves, it liquefies. And underneath the river, there's other smaller rivers, and they built the coffer dam last year. Uh, Just a quick interruption. A coffer dam is a temporary enclosure built in a body of water and then pumped out to create a dry space for construction work. They built the coffer dam last year, well, they attempted to, and the coffer dam was seeping. And we said the coffer dam was leaking, but they were playing with words and said, no, it's seeping. That's normal when it's being built. So they let the water rise up, and then the coffer dam started to leak. That was in the fall. So they had to release some water, which caused the water level in our river, of course, to go up again and caused some trees to come down. In 1970s, there was a landslide from the side of the riverbank just up from there, a massive landslide on the North Spur on the side that's downstream a bit. So we know that that is not stable. We've had people tell us that when they're digging out from the North Spur, it goes in the back of a dump truck. And by the time the dump truck gets where it's to, it's just liquefied. It's just like melted ice cream. How did the Labrador land protectors initially come together? Last June, there was a Make Muskrat Right campaign that was led by the Nazi foot government because they were the ones that had the Harvard study done and realized that methylmercury levels were above where they would want them to be for safety reasons. So that got people, like there was a rally. There was called a rally in the valley. It was in June. I believe it was when the Expo Labrador was taking place, and the premier was actually here. And all of the Aboriginal leaders, they came together in the rally and held hands and said they were solid together on this issue. That's how people started coming together. They had people come up from Rigolet community, and we all rallied together. We didn't want the water levels to rise until we had confirmation about what was going to happen with the methylmercury. So there was that initial rally, and what happened next? People started to walk into the North Spur, so they would walk onto the campsite to go into the North Spur. There was walks to the gate. One day, we went for a walk into the North Spur, It was bringing attention, yes, but if we wanted to really do something, I never did it because I left the next day. But there was other people that felt that they would rather sit at the entrance to the project site. The project site is about 11 kilometers away from that gate where we actually go because you have to go in through a gate and then you have to drive for half an hour or more to get to where the construction site is. So when we're at the gate, we're not actually that close to the construction site. 
so people decided to go up there and start to protest there. And throughout that time, when they were there and people were occupying the gate, more supporters were going up to the gate and the RCMP closed off the road to get to the gate and said it was for people's safety reasons why they had it closed, which we didn't think was appropriate because there was no reason for them to do that other than to keep supporters away. In October, there was people arrested on the 17th of October early morning at the gate because they were standing in front of the gate area to go into Muskrat Falls, so they were arrested by the RCMP, and then more people that gathered more momentum. And once the people got arrested, there were three people that went on a hunger strike, and then they went into the camp. More people went up there, and on, I think it was the 22nd of October, about 50 people went in and occupied the camp. That, I believe, is when the land protectors started coming together. And tell me more about the hunger strike. It ended when the Indigenous leadership reached an agreement with the province about the flooding back at the end of October, right? Well, there was three of them, and they went on a hunger strike, and they had four demands to be able to come after the hunger strike, and they felt that the demands were met because the three leaders went out to St. John's to meet with the Premier, and they had what they called a marathon meeting, and they felt that their conditions were met. One of them was to lower the water levels in the reservoir in the spring and measure how much methylmercury was in there because we wanted all of the land clear-cut so that there would be no chance of the levels rising. And they only agreed to cut so much, but if the methylmercury level was high enough, they would reduce it and clear-cut and then, you know, do their thing again. What happened in the aftermath of the arrests, both to those arrested and in terms of the protesting? They were held in jail cells in the RCMP lockup here till the next day. They went to court, provincial court, and they were criminally charged. There was nine of them, and that was on October 17th, early in the morning. And then we were up at the gate again protesting or protecting in November, and I had been there all one day, and a vehicle attempted to push me ahead as they were going to go into the gate. And so we stayed there all that day, and we stopped the traffic from going in, slowed it down basically, like said, you know, every 45 minutes you can go in or something like that to make a point. And then after that, there were 10 more people that were arrested, and there were all of us, there's like 47 people that has been summoned to Supreme Court because they broke the injunction. And they had to agree to an undertaking to stay one kilometer away from the gate. I think that it's caused a lot of people to fear arrests and not sure where they could stand to be not arrested or not charged because of the lady that was arrested One of the ladies, a young woman, she was arrested in the early morning, and she wasn't even on that side of the street because they told people you could only stand on one side of the street to protest. And she was standing on the side that they told her she could stand on, but she was upset that somebody was getting arrested and she was saying something. I don't know exactly what she was saying. She was yelling, protesting, I guess, and they arrested her. So we were still going up there, but not as many people. We've been doing different things. There hasn't been as many people, but there's been times when there might be 50 or 60 people there. Like we had a motorcade go up there one time that brought out a lot of people. On New Year's Day, we had a celebration up there of the New Year. We recognize that Spirit Mountain is named Spirit Mountain for a reason because there's spirits there. 
So we went there to try to help awaken the spirit, and we have fireworks and things like that, and there is vigils for people. We have vigils and things like that in the nighttime sometimes. So you had mentioned that there are three main kinds of concerns that the Labrador land protectors have with the Muskrat Falls mega project. Let's go through those. Talk a little bit more about the environmental concerns that you have. The environmental objections would be the methylmercury levels that would go up in the river. What they say is there's only a little bit that's going to be there, but that's going to be a little bit in the smaller animal. And as you go up in the food chain, the more you go up. So by the time it gets to a seal, which people enjoy eating, the methylmercury is more. So that's one concern with the environment. The other concern is the changes to the river and the flow of the river, which is the habitat for the animals that are there and then the burning of materials and things that are happening over there. And what about the human rights-related concerns? Well, it's the humanitarian and the human rights of people, like Aboriginal people having a right to make decisions for their own land. There's the United Nations Declaration of Rights for Indigenous Peoples. I'm not sure what the section is. That gives Indigenous people the right to choose what happens on their land, and they're not recognizing that the right for us to be able to maintain the lifestyle that we're used to having, and also the threat of loss of life and lifestyle in a community called Mud Lake, where there's about 50 people who live there, and the community is about 200 years old. We're concerned about flooding if the North Spur doesn't hold up and it breaks, because the North Spur is going to be part of the dam. This spring, Nelcor released water because their water levels were too high, and it flooded the community of Mud Lake. Mud Lake residents at the road that goes, there's another area that's close to Mud Lake. All those people had to be evacuated by helicopter out of the community in the middle of the night because the water rose into their houses, some of them up to their windows. There's other social issues that were concerning for people too before it started, and we spoke about that. You know, there's problems with drugs and alcohol and, you know, a lot of money coming to people and things. There's a lot of social issues. There's more homeless people here because all the rents went up quite high in this town and people can't afford to pay that rent. All of our food prices went up. It's crazy what we have to pay for things here. And you also mentioned economic concerns. Tell me more about those. The project, in my eyes, is going to bankrupt our province. The project was budgeted when it was approved to government. It was budgeted at about six point something billion. It's now reached 12 billion, so it's doubled in its estimated cost. And the cost of the electricity rates are going to go skyrocket to help pay it off. So I guess to get to this point, the Muskrat Falls project must have gone through some kind of approvals process. What's your sense of what that looked like in earlier years? It had to go through a lot of processes, I would assume, but the one that they went through here, the recommendation for it, and uh, it can be found on the internet too, is the Joint Environmental Assessment Panel. The decision was to approve the project with conditions that they clear-cut so that the mercury levels would not be high. I'm not sure what other, like they expropriated land and things like that because they know they're flooding people's cabins, they're flooding trap lines that were there by our ancestors and things like that. So they got a lot of approvals and sometimes it it seems like the law don't apply to them. 
We've seen smoke coming up from over there, so they're burning things that they're probably not supposed to burn over there. Like there's certain things you can't burn outside because of the environment, and we don't know. Nobody knows what happens over there. And there's been people say that they've witnessed salmon being buried. Nelcor tries to say that salmon don't go up that river and over the falls, but they do. There's elders in this community that know that salmon used to go up there. They're asking for ladders so that the salmon could get through, but Nelcor said they don't have any evidence that there's any salmon there, but yet there were salmon buried. And there's also talk to that. Now, this is what we've been told, so I don't have facts on it. This is only what we've been told, that there was beavers that were killed as well. So is your take that whatever this process has been, that it hasn't adequately considered all of the issues? I believe, and our group believes, is that they don't consider it as important and they say they will mitigate the issues or concerns. What kinds of conversations are happening in the community about the Muskrat Falls project? It's talked about a lot because people don't understand why there's so much court for people. It's hard to believe that there's so many people being brought into the court system who are law-abiding citizens and now are seen as criminals, and other people believe you're a criminal because you're going to court. They also talk about fear, fear of drowning, the fear of the flood coming. There was discussions about loss of homes, not to think about your life, but your home and compensation for that if that should happen, and there is no compensation. If you lose your home because of the flood, there will be no compensation. A lot of people are afraid that live down in the area of the flood zone, and there's also talk about, you know, there's no evacuation plan for people, so the company, Nelcor, or the government will not take responsibility to help pay for an evacuation plan when they're putting you in a flood zone. You mentioned the shocking number of residents who have been pushed into involvement in the court system just for acting in opposition to this project. A lot of the listeners will have heard of the case of Beatrice Hunter, so why don't you talk a little bit about her situation? Beatrice was one of the 10 that was arrested in November, and she signed an undertaking say that she would not go one kilometer to the gate of Muskrat Falls which I remember is 11 kilometers away from the site. So it's just a gate to be able to go into the property. And she signed that agreement and undertaking in November. When the flood happened on May 17th in Mud Lake, everybody was really upset. So people went up to the gate for the long weekend. We went to the gate to protest our dissatisfaction of what was happening. What happened, we felt Nelcor was responsible for it. And Beatrice decided that she would be one of the ones that would go there. So because she was on an undertaking, there was security always at the gate. They always videotape us. They get our names and things like that. So they did an affidavit saying that Beatrice was there along with the other four people. They named other people in the affidavit too, but Beatrice and the three other people appeared in Supreme Court on May 29th. So on that day, three people agreed to adhere to their undertaking and agreed not to go one kilometer from the gate. And Beatrice said she couldn't agree any longer, that because of the flooding in Mudlake, and she really believed that Nelcor was responsible, and they did say they opened the gates to the spillway to let the water out, then she was adamant that she would not stay one kilometer away from the gate. She was jailed that day on the 29th of May, 
And on, I believe it was the 31st of May, they brought her to St. John's, Newfoundland, which is about, well, you got to fly to get there in the airplane. So she was removed from her community and brought to St. John's, and she now is housed in a penitentiary in St. John's. It is a penitentiary for men, but they have done renovations, apparently, so they can house some women. And as I mentioned in the introduction to the episode, when we recorded the interview, Hunter was still in custody, but she has subsequently been released. What kinds of support have you gotten over the course of this struggle from groups and people outside of the community? There was massive support when there was the hunger strikers. There's now the support for Beatrice is gathering momentum like you wouldn't believe. It's coming from everywhere. Amnesty International Canada has written a letter to the Premier. There's other First Nations organizations and groups of people that are on Facebook saying that, you know, they'd be willing to come and support if we need them to. So there's a lot of support gathering. What would you recommend to people from different parts of the country who want to act in support of the Labrador Land Protectors? They can act in support by writing letters to our government and asking them to do an independent study on the North Spur because of the safety of people that are in our end of the valley and also in Mud Lake. People who have indigenous background to talk about the UNDRIP declaration and also the truth and reconciliation is that truth is supposed to be told about what happens to indigenous peoples and they need to make sure the truth is told. If they wanted to make a monetary donation, that's also available for our legal fees. But the support alone to say that, you know, you support the shutting down of Muskrat Falls or have an independent study done or a forensic audit. You mentioned the Truth and Reconciliation Commission just now. What's your sense of how the Muskrat Falls Project and the actions of NALCOR and of the province fit in with the spirit and the recommendations of the TRC? Well, there was 94 recommendations, and of the 94, one-third of them are provincial. So they have to do some things with their provincial, and part of it is educating people on the history of what happened to Indigenous people in our country, and especially in our province. So the government needs to step up and start doing that. The truth has to be told about what happened, and you can understand then why there's intergenerational trauma and addiction, and people are starting to get stronger and saying that enough is enough that we will not be assimilated or told what to do all the time. Like, we have rights, and we have the right to say we don't agree with something. It feels like we're being treated so unfair that, you know, you can't even stand on a certain place to express yourself. Well, the way I express it, it's like you go sit in the back of the bus. You can't sit there. You have to sit in the back of the bus. I don't recall all of the calls for action in the Truth of Reconciliation. Most of the ones that I'm concerned about is the education and the telling the truth of what's really happening. They're not even telling the truth of what's happening over there. We don't trust them anymore. The trust is gone. You have been listening to my interview with Jennifer Heffler-Elson of the Labrador Land Protectors. To learn more about the struggle against the Muskrat Falls Dam, search for Labrador Land Protectors on Facebook or Twitter. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.